For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the Feast of Trumpets, a wedding celebration. This is part two of the series. Now let's understand the connection to Genesis 22 and the significance of the event that happened there when Abraham was asked by the God of Israel to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering or an olah. There are three trumpets known as shofarim that mark major events in the redemptive plan of the God of Israel. And these trumpets are associated with days of the year. They are known by the following names. The first trump, the last trump, and the great trump. The first trump and the last trump, these are going to relate thematically back to Genesis chapter 22 and the ram that got caught in the thicket. The horns of the ram that was caught in the thicket, the rabbis call the two horns the first trump and the last trump. The rabbis teach that those horns or those trumpet blasts are going to herald significant events in the history of the nation of Israel and they are going to be associated with the God of Israel redeeming his people. That first horn, known as the first trump, was blown in Exodus chapter 19 and it's associated with Shavuot. The last trump, or the second horn of the ram that was caught in the thicket, is associated with Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah. The great trump is a shofar that's associated with Yom Kippur. The rabbis teach that the first and last trump represent the left and right horns of the ram that was caught in the thicket when Abraham offered up his son Isaac on the altar. This is known as the Akedah or the binding of the sacrifice. When Abraham offered up Isaac as an Olah or a burnt offering to the God of Israel on Mount Moriah as we are told in Genesis chapter 22. It's because of this that in traditional Judaism on the second day celebration of Rosh Hashanah that Genesis 22 is read. And looking at Genesis chapter 22 verse 13 it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him, the Hebrew word is achar, a ram. What does achar mean? Achar is the Strong's number 310. The definition of the word is after the following 
following part. It comes after the event that happened. It can mean afterwards or in the future or at a later time. In commenting about this verse in Midrash Rabbah Genesis 56 verse 9, Rabbi Judan said, After all that happened, Israel still fell into the clutches of sin and in consequence become the victims of persecution. That is by the nations where they were exiled. Yet, they will ultimately be redeemed by a ram's horn, as it says, and the Lord God will blow the horn, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 14. Continuing on in the commentary in Midrash Rabbi Genesis 56, 9, Rabbi Abba, son of Rabbi Papai and Rabbi Joshua of Siknan and Rabbi Levi's name said, because the patriarch Abraham saw the ram extricate himself from one thicket and go and become entangled in another, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, So will your children be entangled in countries changing from Babylon to Media, from Media to Greece, from Greece to Rome, yet they will eventually be redeemed by the ram's horn, as it is written, and the Lord God will blow the horn, the Lord of hosts will defend them. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Now the left horn of the ram that was caught in the thicket is seen as being blown at Mount Sinai. In Genesis 22 verse 13 the verse says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now in Exodus chapter 19 verses 18 and 19 we can see in Exodus 19 19 a shofar being blown and the rabbis thematically link this back to Genesis 22 and the ram that was caught in the thicket in his horn. In Exodus 19 verses 18 and 19 it is written, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. That doesn't make logical sense because when you blow a shofar ultimately you run out of wind and it's got to begin to die down. But this shofar when it was blown it went louder and louder. So it is seen that it's the God of Israel himself who blew that shofar. We understand that to be Yeshua the Messiah who gave the Torah at Mount Sinai and who entered into marriage covenant relationship with the house of Jacob there. The right horn is going to be associated with the end of the exile of Jacob or the messianic redemption. The ram of Isaac which was caught in the thicket and sacrificed in the place of Isaac had two horns. It is seen that the left horn was blown at Mount Sinai where we just read but the right horn is seen as being greater than the left one. In the future the God of Israel will blow upon it when he brings back the exiles to the land of Israel and we find this reference in Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer which means the sayings of Rabbi Eliezer in chapter 31. A trumpet is blown to redeem the exiles of Israel. In Zechariah chapter 9 beginning in verse 11 and then reading through verse 13 it says as for you also by the blood of the covenant I have set forth your prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. The prisoners are going to be the exiles of Israel. The pit is going to be the exile into the nation. They have no water. They're exiled because they departed from Torah. Torah is likened unto water. They're going to be set free 
from that prison or that pit by the blood of the covenant. That is Yeshua dying on the tree. Zechariah 9.12 Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. See, the exiles are called prisoners of hope. What is their hope? The end of their exile. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 13 When I have bent Judah for me and filled the bow with Ephraim and raised up, when you blow the shofar, it's like it under the resurrection of the dead. So when I raise up or I resurrect Judah and Ephraim from the nations where they've been exiled, I will raise up your sons, O Zion. Who are the sons of Zion? Ephraim and Judah. Against your sons, O Greece. This is Greco-Roman thinking. And this is Greco-Roman philosophy. So we're told that in the end of days, there's going to be a battle waged between those who want to follow the God of Israel and his redemption and be a part of his redemption, hold on to the covenant that he made with Abraham, following Torah, that they're going to come in conflict with the sons of Greece, which is Greco-Roman thinking and Greco-Roman philosophy, and made you as the sword of a mighty man. Now, in commenting about the prisoners that are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 9, when it says that you may say to the prisoners, go forth, you can thematically connect the prisoners that are mentioned in Isaiah 49, 9 with the prisoners that are mentioned here in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12. The rabbis identify the prisoners in Isaiah 49 9 as referring to the ten tribes. This comes from the book A Matter of Return by Rabbi Eisenberg. On page 132 it is written there. Prophesying about the future return of the exiles to their land, Isaiah states that you may say to the prisoners go forth to them that are in darkness show yourselves. The Midrash Rabbah explains that the prisoners denotes the tribes residing beyond the Sabbatian, which is where it was seen they were exiled, and those who are in darkness denotes those existing under a dark cloud, meaning they're not following Torah. Now it goes on to say in Zechariah chapter 9 that a shofar or a trumpet is going to be blown to redeem the exiles of Israel. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God will blow the shofar and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day. He's saving them. This is saving them, bringing them back from exile. In that day as the flock of his people. He's gathering his sheep. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. In Zechariah chapter 10 verse 8 it goes on to say, And I will whistle for them and gather them. For I have redeem them and they shall increase as they have increased. The blowing of the shofar, among other things, symbolizes the resurrection of the dead. One of the reasons for blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah is to proclaim the resurrection of the dead. The 13th article of Jewish faith is belief in the resurrection of the dead. According to Jewish tradition, the resurrection of the dead will take place on Rosh Hashanah. And this comes from the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 16b. The ingathering of the exiles from the nations where they've been scattered and bringing them back to the land of Israel in the scriptures is likened unto a resurrection of the dead. We can see this in Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 3 and verse 11 it is written The hand of the Lord was upon me and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused
caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, only you know. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, meaning the house of Jacob, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost. Notice, no hope is associated with being in exile. The hope is the redemption. Why? Because the redemption is associated with the coming of King Messiah in the Messianic era when the nation of Israel will be ruling over all the nations of the earth rather than being subjugated to the nations of the earth. As long as we are in exile and northern kingdom and southern kingdom are not joined together, the verse says we are cut off for our hearts. But it goes on to say in Ezekiel 37 verses 12 and 13 and verse 16, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. What's he referring to? The nations were even scattered. So the nations where the exiles have been scattered is likened unto a grave. And I'm going to bring you into the land of Israel. And you will know that I am the Lord when I've opened your graves. That's a resurrection. O my people. And brought you up out of your graves. So the resurrection of the dead is associated with the house of Jacob returning back to the land of Israel. Who is this? This is Ephraim and Judah. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. In Ezekiel 37 verse 16 it says, Moreover thou son of man, take one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. The resurrection of the dead is associated with the last trump. The last trump is associated with Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah. Rav Shaor, the Apostle Paul, makes this association in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. That is specifically referring to Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah. For the trumpet, the shofar will sound, and when the shofar is sounded, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What is the resurrection of the dead? We see the scriptures associate the resurrection of the dead with two primary things. Number one, the resurrection of the dead is associated with the blowing of the shofar, the ingathering of the exiles, the house of Jacob, from the nations where they've been scattered, and this is associated and called the messianic redemption. The one who accomplishes this task is the Messiah, who will be dwelling with the regathered exiles during the messianic era when he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. But we also see that the resurrection of the dead is associated with the blowing of the shofar and a bodily resurrection. And with this bodily resurrection, it is for the purpose of completing the marriage to Yeshua and ultimately ruling and reigning with him. So we see in the end of days, these events are going to be associated and linked with each other. There's going to be an ingathering of the exiles while there's also going to be a bodily resurrection. The purpose of the ingathering of the exiles is to bring his bride back to rule and reign with him. The purpose of a bodily resurrection is also to receive our bodies to rule and reign with him. They come together and they have the same task or function ultimately so that we'll be his people ruling and reigning with him. Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, is associated with 
a wedding because this day is associated with the resurrection of the dead and we're being resurrected to carry out the marriage process unto Yeshua the Messiah. During Rosh Hashanah, there is a remembrance of the resurrection of the dead when believers in the Messiah receive their resurrected bodies at the last trump, there will be a wedding with Messiah in the heavenlies. Psalm 45 is a royal wedding psalm. This psalm not only talks about the theme of coronation and kingship, which is associated with Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah, but it is also regarded as a wedding psalm. Psalm 45 verse 1 reads, My heart is stirring a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O most mighty, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you terrible things. Who is teaching you things? The right hand. Who's the right hand? That is the Messiah. Psalm 45 verse 5 it says, Your arrows are sharp in the heart of a king's enemies, whereby the people fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter. This is speaking about kingship, Messiah ruling and reigning during the Messianic era. You love righteousness, that is following Torah, and hate wickedness, that is not following Torah. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Messiah will be king over all the earth during the Messianic era. All your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made you glad. Isaiah 45 verse 9. King's daughters were among your honorable women. Upon your right hand did stand the queen of gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget also your own people in your father's house. So shall the king greatly desire your beauty. This is the king, Messiah, desiring the beauty of his bride. For he is your Lord and worship you him. The bride will give her honor unto her husband. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat your favor. Psalm 45 verse 13 through 15. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. She's beautiful. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto you. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. The bride is brought into the king's palace. Now in Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8, we see the marriage of Messiah to his bride. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Once again, there are two primary stages of the biblical marriage. The first is betrothal. The second is where you consummate the marriage and you physically dwell and live with your mate. During betrothal, you are legally married to your spouse, but you do not physically dwell with your mate. Spiritually, whenever we receive Yeshua into our hearts and our lives, we are betrothed to him, he being our bridegroom. At this time, when we accept Yeshua into our hearts and our lives as the Messiah and receive forgiveness of our sins, we are legally married to him. We are members of the family of, of Yeshua, but we're not physically dwelling with him. This physical dwelling will be initially during the Messianic era when he rules and reigns on the earth and also and ultimately during the time of the new heavens and the new 
new earth in the heavenly Jerusalem. Now let's look at the 12 steps from the ancient Israel wedding and see how that's associated with Yeshua's relationship with his people. The God of Israel gave various customs. One of these customs is the ancient Israel wedding ceremony and services and ceremonies to the nation of Israel as we're told in Romans chapter 3 verse 2 and Romans chapter 9 verse 4. And these things will teach us about the future coming of the Messiah. Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. One of these customs is the biblical wedding custom. With that in mind, let's examine the ancient biblical wedding ceremony which the God of Israel gave to the nation of Israel. The ancient biblical wedding ceremony which the God of Israel gave to the nation of Israel will teach us about our wedding to Yeshua the Messiah. This ceremony consisted of 12 steps. The first step is the selection of the bride. In ancient Israel, the bride was usually chosen by the father of the bridegroom. The father would send his most trusted servant known as the agent of the father to search out the bride. An example of this is in Genesis chapter 24 where Abraham, who in this case is a type of God the father, wishes to secure a bride for Isaac. Isaac here is a type of the Messiah and sends his servant Eliezer who is a type of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that draws us unto the Messiah. The nation of Israel is regarded as being the chosen of the God of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 and 7 it says, For you are a holy people under the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people. So we're chosen by the Father. In John chapter 15 verse 16 it says you have not chosen me we have not chosen Yeshua but he has chosen us and ordained us that we should go and bring forth fruit for the kingdom of the God of Israel. It is the Holy Spirit or the Ruach HaKodesh that draws us or brings us to the Messiah. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to not only do this but to convict the world of sin. In John chapter 16 verses 7 and 8 it is written Nevertheless I tell you the truth it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I will send him unto you and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness what's of righteousness? Following the ways of the God of Israel following the Torah and of judgment. Messiah chose and loves his bride. The bridegroom chose the bride and lavished his love upon her and she then returned his love. In the same way Messiah lavishes his love upon his bride. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 it is written, Husbands, love your wives even as Messiah loved the congregation and gave himself for it. The bride of Messiah loves him. We can see this picture in Genesis 24. Rebecca consented to marry Isaac before she even met him. Today, believers in Yeshua the Messiah consent to be married to him and become his bride even though we have never physically seen him. And 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 it is written, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet you believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Step number two, the bride price was established. A price would have to be paid for the bride. The agreed upon price is called in Hebrew a mohar.
Well, that's going to conclude part two of the series on the subject, The Feast of Trumpets, a wedding celebration. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.